Welcome back to Mastering Ourselves. Thank you for being with us. Our guest today is Richard Fields. He's written the book, Awakening to Mindfulness, Ten Steps for Positive Change. And uh, you have a website, uh, Richard, where people can reach you in this? Sure. The best website is my uh, conference uh, website. It's faces, F-A-C-E-S, conferences.com. Facesconferences.com. Right. So, your box that you see—we're talking about working outside the box and the right. value of that. Your box sets the stage on which you receive life from. That's right. So there's uh, in the book there's uh, a copy of the Johari window. It sounds very uh, exotic, but it's really this guy Joe and Harry got together, and there were two trainers, <laughs> and uh, they created this box called the Johari uh, window, which has. Uh, it describes this thinking outside of the box. And the first part of the box is things that you know that other people know about you. That's a simple box. That's your public self. And then there's things that you know that others don't know, and that's your private self. So you have the public and private self. But then there are things that you don't know that others know, and that's your blind self. Those are the things you might be blind to. And then there's things that you don't know, that others don't know, but by interaction and uh, connection, you discover some new things about yourself and maybe the other person as well. So, um, you know, allowing yourself to have those different kinds of experiences. And I think people feel very safe by compartmentalizing everything, you know, putting everything in a box. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's that life isn't that way. Things aren't just so. Uh, it, it makes us feel safer, but uh, really, uh, things are often out of your control as well. So uh, a, a quick story to illustrate that and, and the way you see things is Jack Cornfield tells a story about uh, a military guy who uh, went to him for mindfulness training because he, he had this big ang- anger problem. And he uh, one day described he was, uh, after his training, he went to this uh, supermarket and he was online and there was a woman in front of her, in front of him with a baby and just one item, and he started getting angry that why is she in the, in the why isn't she in the twelve items or less lane, or why couldn't you know she do express yeah. checkout? Yeah. He's getting upset and he's, he's beginning to think that way. And, and then uh, the woman pays for the item and gives the baby to the clerk behind the counter, and they go, oh, it's a beautiful baby, and he's wondering what's going on. And then the woman gives the clerk gives the baby back to the woman. The woman leaves. And he comes up to the woman. He said, and he noticed, you know, this is a very cute baby. And the woman said, yes. Uh, the clerk said, yes, that's my uh, my son. And my husband died in the Iraq War, and I had to get a job. So once a day, my mom comes in with him, and I get to, you know, hug him and just spend a minute with him. Oh. So the perception of what's really going on yeah. is often not accurate. So we have to get outside of our own, be willing to get outside of our own box and, and I guess accepting things, you know, you don't accept 100% of everything because some things you have to really deal with, but by and large, our general approach should be simply accepting things like this is okay unless some alarms go off kind of thing. Right. And that's the other part, you know, where you pay attention to uh, the, sort of the red flags in life where things, there's dangerous situations. Right. You don't give up that uh, New York skill yes. or wherever you are. <laughs> so um, attrition and resiliency, how do we 
get those qualities in dealing with life? Well, I think that is what life is about. Life is about um, recognizing that at times there's suffering. And it hopefully is a, a more optimistic attitude would be that most things are temporary, they're external, and they're specific to a situation. So, uh, you know, it's life is like the stock market. It goes up and down, and the price of gas goes up and down, hopefully down. Uh, <laughs> but we have to adjust to that, that form of suffering uh, in, in our lives and, and adapt and adjust. And that's resiliency. In this perfect, imperfect world. That's right. So, and isn't that, a, isn't that a, like a wonderful, magical thing to be, you know, look at it that way? Yeah, really. Otherwise, it's kind of boring. Well, it could be very stressful, too. Um, yeah. You know, because you take things wrong, you take things personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a way, you know, also sort of having the idea that, our souls are eternal instead of this is it, and uh, there's no leniency or there's no kindness. It's just cut and dry. But but to have the idea that um, um, you can sort of go with life, you can you can adjust anytime you want, like prioritize. Um, you know, like you, you watch what happened today. And you go, whoa, this went pretty good, except for, you know, if I ate lunch an hour later, it would have been just really ideal, and I noticed that's my pattern, so I'm going to start shifting that. Mm-hmm. Or let's say you didn't have a good day, for whatever reason, yep. variety of reasons. Yeah. Okay, didn't have a good day today. But, uh, hmm, what's, uh, what's that about? You know, and it's only one day, and... Uh, Maybe I can think about it differently. You're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmaine Amber, your spiritual lifestyle experts with sound answers to life's tough questions. Our guest today is Richard Fields. He's written the book, Awakening to Mindfulness, Ten Steps for Positive Change. Do you have suggestions for people on dealing with loneliness? Yeah, there's a, there's a great term that Pema Chodron, who's a Buddhist monk, and uh, she she uh, runs a, a monastery up in Nova Scotia. She has a lot of nice books out uh, and uh, very prolific. And um, uh, Pema has a term called cool loneliness that, you know, you could recognize when you're lonely, but you don't have to overreact to it. And you could, like, ice it down a little bit in terms of the heat of it. Uh-huh. And uh, recognize that oh, this, I just uh, it triggered some loneliness, or I have some feelings of loneliness. And you could be gentle with yourself, and see that it's a time for peace, it's a time for quiet, it's time to do what you want to do, and um, and you might you know just enjoy that loneliness. Uh, you don't have to uh, sort of the habit of your mind run from it. You can you know just be with it right then. Reminds me of um, these gals that get these leg wraps that go up their calves, and it's just like a cuddly, cozy kind of thing. I'm lonely, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to sort of cozy in and sort of pamper myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're talking about, something like that? Yeah, I think it is something like that, but even but recognizing that you don't have to give the negative energy to, to the loneliness. Right. You don't have to be a 
afraid of loneliness. You don't have to be aversive to boredom. Yes. You know? that, that's boredom. Oh, okay. You know, I don't like it. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know. You, 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 know, you know, I notice that a lot of people that have loneliness, which part of that is looking for somebody else to complete you, yeah. is um, when they actually deal with their inner child, I, I notice most of that seems to go away. And yeah, because they, lay, they, they, they give a sense of safety to that inner child, that it's safe, you know, loneliness doesn't have to be dangerous. Right. We're, we're here for each other, you know, like the parent self is here for the inner child self. Yeah. Instead of the pattern of perhaps the child was abandoned or whatever. Right. Yeah. So that or, starts... Or had periods of uh, being alone that were not comfortable or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in your book, you talk about um, mantras. Um, how do you use them and, and uh, what would you suggest? Well, the book's interesting. In, in designing it, I was talking to Michael Yako, who's an expert. Uh, he's written a number of books, uh, especially on the topic of feelings and depression and cognitive behavioral change. And uh, he suggested that, at, you know, at the end of each chapter that we put in some things to do. And uh, the mantra was an idea I had. So, we, so it's kind of nice. You can read each chapter in the ten steps, and you can take one step, you know, a week and just work on that. And... So to, looking at the book right now, if I can find uh, what I'm looking for, is that each chapter will have uh, a topic, and with that topic there will be a mantra. So the first chapter is about invoking compassion. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. We want to have compassion for other people. So the mantra for that week is compassion. So that's pretty cool because then you know, you're walking around and, uh, the focus in the morning, you can wake up and, you know, do some meditation or at least sit and repeat compassion to yeah. yourself. Yeah. And, and remember that throughout the day. Oh yes, uh, I'm, 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 this is, I'm, I, I need to focus on being compassionate. Uh, and that means, you know, holding a door open for someone or saying yeah. hello or making contact with someone. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the mantra for that day. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, go, and, go through a few of those, would you? Sure, I'd love to. The second one is uh, stop being so hard on yourself. You know, shame is such a big thing where you shame yourself and you beat yourself up. And if you have shame attached to feelings, it escalates the feelings. They're just normal feelings of anger. But you feel shameful about yourself or you know upset, you're going to uh, escalate it up to rage. So the counter for that is um, acceptance and to accept the things that, uh, you know, maybe you screwed up or, right. you know, but acceptance that this, okay, this happened and, uh, but this is, you know, life is pretty good and acceptance would be that. The next one would be maintain a good attitude and that would be for that week, you know, it's like attitude. I'm going to have a good attitude. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, see things in a, in a more positive light and when I find myself being judgmental or, you know, uh, having a, a pessimism about uh, the world, I'm going to back off that. Oh, attitude, attitude. Yep, yep. Then, then in the middle of that, you say, this stuff is bullshit. <laughs> say, oh, attitude, attitude. Right. <laughs> okay, I got you. And um, uh, what do you find that meditation does to help? You know, I'm, uh, this weekend I'm going to a three-day uh, meditation uh, with Reginald Ray. 
And um, I'm really new. I did meditation, transcendental meditation, back in the 60s, mm-hmm. and uh, loved it. And uh, you know, the first time I did a group meditation with other people, it was just really, you really got really high. It was great. Um, so I'm starting to get back into it. And um, you know, the benefits I'm hearing about, and the difficulty in um, doing medica- meditation, mm-hmm. uh, especially you know, long kinds of meditations and retreats yeah. uh, is something that I'm sort of half looking forward to and half dreading yeah. because it's a very tough process, especially, you know, if you, if you're not used to, uh, relaxing. So, yeah. uh, but I, that's just a tremendous benefit for, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, pain, so many things. I mean, meditation and mindfulness is just so beneficial for so many different conditions. Yeah, it's really good to get a habit of that. Yes, so just 20 minutes in the morning, sitting comfortably and meditating just on your breath, mm-hmm. and then doing 20 minutes. I like doing it around 3 o'clock because that seems to be a low period for most people. I see. Uh, you know, and for me especially, it's so around 3, I get a little grumpy, so I take it this 20-minute meditation. And um, the benefits are, 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 are just dramatic in terms of uh, focus and, and calming down and not being so reactive and being a little bit more reflective. Yeah. You know, I find in general, uh, if we can begin to follow our natural biorhythms throughout the day, like there's a time when uh, maybe two or three times a day where eating yeah. is optimal, it does you the best good, more, it's like the best thing you could do at that time, and another time would be meditating or taking a nap. Right. Or exercising. If we could follow those and begin to form our days around our own natural biorhythms, boy, it can just be like a, a um, catalyst, uh, life catalyst. That's just like a synergy gets going. Yeah, and it's it's really recognizing what's going on with your body, and you know whether you're fatigued or what's what's really going on. Uh, and along with that is a real interesting chapter that we have in the book is about exercise and getting into flow state. And, uh, you know, flow is the ability to really concentrate so much that you're almost watching yourself perform. Like I, I play tennis, and when I play tennis and I get into flow states, I can see the rotation on the ball. I can anticipate how I'm going to hit my stroke, and, and, and things seem to slow down, and I'm not thinking about anything else. So uh, it, it, it's not over-focusing. It's actually getting into the spirit of it. Exactly, and and if you if you try too hard, right, it doesn't work, and that's what's so great about flow is is it's really a, a an ability to focus and relax, mm-hmm. and I... and and stay in the now of whatever's, and uh, the mantra was an idea I had, so we so it's kind of nice you can read each chapter in the ten steps, and you can take it was exceptionally good at flow state. Why do you say that? What, what, what about him? Well, uh, he would, I think it was intuitive, which goes into the flow state. I think he was more intuitive than he just uh, pile-drived his mind to think and, you know, do mind sweat. I think he got, got ideas and, and he flowed and the solutions came to him kind of thing. Yeah, that sounds good. I like that. Yeah, one thing I want to say about meditation, I believe it's like a, a form of let go, let God, up and you know do some meditation or at least sit and repeat compassion to yourself yeah. and, and remember realization we actually begin to realize the peace of God that we are and that God is our core 
mm-hmm. like, like we're each an individual unit of God. So I think we we go into recognizing ourselves more and being true to ourself. You know, to thine own mm-hmm. self be true, and, and your truth will set you free. Is also a thing of that helps you get self-realization, so you actually begin to know yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, break time. You're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmy Amber, your spiritual lifestyle experts helping humanity wake up one show at a time. Don't forget to catch us Monday through Saturday, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on CRN. Our guest today is Richard Fields, Ph.D. He's written the book Awakening to Mindfulness. Ten steps for positive change. When we come back, we're going to find out from him the six different uh, procrastinators. And you can find out if you're one of them and maybe what to do about it so you don't stay stuck. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Mastering Ourselves co-host Keith Amber has done thousands of psychic soul healings over the past 36 years. As a healer and co-host on Mastering Ourselves, Keith offers profound insights that assist you in moving forward in your own life through your own trials and challenges. During Keith's private healings and on the show Mastering Ourselves, many of life's mysteries are explained with the help of the amazing spirit guides of light. Find out what others have to say about Keith's life-altering healings at MasteringOurselves.com. 